Good morning, good morning, good morning. 8.30 crowd. Somebody, I'm telling you, we have a lot of people show up at 9.30, I'm just telling you. They're going to they're gonna be streaming and going, what is going on here? I have no idea. Well, today, for those of you who are not aware, today is really, we're celebrating our three-year anniversary. So that's right. This is just, uh, somehow, by the will of God, we are still here. And uh, so Pete Dine, our uh, beloved Pete up in the AV booth up there, has put together a little uh, retrospective, if you will, a little look back over the last three years. You know, this church is very much about looking forward. And in fact, the journey that we're talking about the, this morning and continue with of the Exodus template is very much about our path. And we're always moving forward. We, we forget what lies behind and press on. But sometimes it's, uh, it's nice to take stock of what, of what God has done. Not what we have done, but what God has done in our midst over the last three years. So, Pete, would you roll that?
Can you believe that? I mean, that was just a fraction. So uh, a fraction of the activity of God's people. I got to tell you, I, I just brought tears to my eyes because as you look back, you know, just three years, three years. What are the next three years going to look like? What are the next three years going to look like? I mean, people getting baptized, people come to know Jesus. Many of you uh, empowered in your walk, moving from, as we're going to talk about this morning, from the wilderness maybe in your own walk to actually doing ministry in, in your gifting, not just for ministers like people paid up on the stage, but actually walking into the fullness of your calling. It's a, it's a pretty overwhelming thing. So I'm excited about this last three years, but I'm much more excited about the next three years. And can't wait to see what God's going to do. Now, just as a reminder, on the 24th, if you consider Church of the Red Door your home, it's going to be our big vision unfolding. We're not going to have a normal service. It's, it's going to be really exciting. We're going to give you an update on everything that is Church at the Red Door. It's going to be the 24th, both services. So just mark that on your calendar. If you can be here, we will not archive that. We will have that. Uh, we will live stream it that morning, but we won't have it on permanent archive. So... And there are reasons for that. So uh, 24th, both services, 8.30 and 10.30, and we're excited. All right, you ready to roll? Uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for all of our sweet, precious friends who are now returning, many of them new faces I haven't seen in four or five months. And uh, what a privilege to have them back with us, Lord. We, we come to you now. We try to settle in our spirits, Lord. We are anticipating that you will, in fact, speak to us through your spirit, Lord. We are completely and utterly dependent upon you. Lord, it's my prayer every week. We want to inquire of you, Lord, uh, specifically about our own walk, about how we walk as a church, about what our relationship with, with you is and what that really looks like, and we can only parse that through the word. So the authority for the Church of the Red Door, Lord, is always your word and your word alone. Help us navigate it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I was like, if you'll remember, we've been walking through this Exodus template. By the way, before I get started, have you seen all this new stage they did? Is that, did you notice that? That's a good job. It looks so good because I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. I just saw it this morning, so I was excited to see that. Um, last week, we looked, we've been working through this Exodus template. And I hope what you're gleaning from this is that, you know, there's some extraordinary things that in the Old Testament that really give me grounds to understand my own walk. As we've said from the very beginning, you know, we, we very much walk in the unseen realm. We don't walk in the seen realm. And so it's hard to navigate what we cannot see. And we're confronted, bombarded from the moment we open our eyes in the morning until we kind of close them when we go to sleep at night. We're bombarded with what we see. And it's hard to walk in the path of Jesus when he clearly was seeing something his own disciples often we're not seen. And so it's a challenge to walk in the unseen realm. And so the Exodus template helps us understand what we've seen the last few weeks is, again, 1 Corinthians 10, all these things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul referencing the Exodus and the children of Israel. We saw many times, that, and we saw it last week specifically, that Israel failed in their journey through the Exodus template. Over and over, we saw the rebellion, uh, uh, the Senate that happened at Peor, and we saw the rebellion of Korah and all that happened there. And even Miriam and Aram, um, uh, even, even they counseled against Moses. I mean, who appointed you authority? And we see over and over that they failed. Even when they crossed the Jordan, they failed. But Jesus very systematically walked through 
and I hope this really, many of you came to me last week and said I was really impacted by that. I never really realized that Jesus was so intentional about going back and walking through the journey of Israel, if you will, both being baptized, uh, going there, the Red Sea, he went into the Jordan, then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was tempted, and he was there 40 days, they were there 40 years, and you can see a great intentionality on the part of Jesus to go and accomplish exactly what God had ordained and yet what Israel had failed. Now, we now are also called. So Israel was called to walk through the wilderness and go through their, go through the, their baptism and then eventually walk and build a kingdom. Uh, they failed. Jesus came, lived it out perfectly, and now we are called to do the same. We're called to go through our baptism. We then go into the wilderness for a period of time. And then eventually we're hoping that we get there. So in summary of the last two weeks, our desire is to do what? First, we want to believe, and it takes a while. Many of you may be in here this morning going, I'm just still working on believing that this book could actually be the inspired words of God, as we saw last week, extraterrestrial, coming from as manna from heaven, not, not part of this terra firma, not just man's grasp at trying to make out a God and trying to understand that. So first you believe. Then you have to belong. You've got to be part of a community. Why? Because the gifts are there and because you need the gifts of other people that God works through. And we've all been given, as we say many times, we've all been given a gift for the common good, as we see over and over. So each one of us has a unique. Then after we belong, we begin over a period of time. We'll call this the wilderness period as we're first getting our roots down. We're having to learn to be extricated from our old lives. And what happens? We begin to become more like Jesus. I'm more like Jesus than I was 20 years ago. We've often told our kids, I said, you know, Laura and I look back at our lives and I mean, we, we have a long way to go. I mean, there are so many areas of my life that I don't really reflect Jesus in different dimensions that I want to. But I said, girls, you don't know us. What we, you don't know your mom and I. You don't know anything what we looked like 25 years ago. It was a mess. But God is faithful and he's doing the work. So then you start to become and eventually you cross the Jordan and you begin to build. So first you must believe. Then you need to belong then you start to become, and then you start to build. We're going to look at that crossing over this morning. We're going to begin to look at what it is like, what happens when we actually cross the Jordan. Well, the very first thing is you need to know that the manna ceases. Now, again, you continue. You can be doing the kingdom. You can be, you can be a, a, a really a general in God's army, and you're still feeding on God's word. So that's not to suggest that. But there is a certain place where your provisions no longer, they run out, and you have to become a self-feeder. For you to be ever to be able to give out and be able to minister, you've got to be able to know the Word. And so what they were living out in a physical way, we live out in a spiritual way. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Now, again, if you'll remember, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that made it out of that original maybe three million. He was 85, Caleb, and we, we can take it, we can take it as we saw a couple of weeks ago. But something happened when they crossed the Jordan. They began to go in and take spiritual, uh, physical land from physical people. We are called to take spiritual land from spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Joshua 3, 5 says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
Can I just tell you that until you get involved, I, I don't know, you know, some of you, you, you saw, it was amazing in these pictures, and I'm not referring to myself, because, but I, a lot of these people were in a lot of these different pictures, you know, they were involved, they were so involved. Now, some of you don't leave for all the year, and you're not going to be as much uh, involved because you're not here all year round, but you saw many people that they were feeding the poor, and they were involved in so many different things, and it was amazing because it's not until you begin to build that final stage where you become a self-feeder that you actually really see the wonders. Now, you'll see some wonders in the wilderness. Don't get me wrong. You'll see the miracles of God, but when you really put your hand to the plow and you said, I am I, there's a shift in me. I, I, I am really giving my whole life to the creator of the universe. I am all in. I'm pushing all my chips in. It's amazing what happens. Uh, God says, well, you're going to see wonders now. You think you've seen some amazing miracles in the wilderness? Well, you have, but wait until you see what I do as you begin to give me your whole life. And you go into the building stage where you are not just a pew sitter anymore. You're active in God's mission on the earth. You take the Great Commission very seriously. You're going to see wonders. And then Joshua chapter 5, verse 12, something else unique happened at that moment. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now, you'll remember over the last three or four weeks, I have been suggesting to you that there will be a point in your own spiritual journey where you just feel if you're not actively engaged in the Great Commission and actually building, where you're, in some way you're giving of your gifting into the advancement of the kingdom. And until that happens, well, you know, you see wonders like we saw, but until that moment happens, you're feeding on manna. But at some point, it just feels like the manna ceases. You just, you know, this is becoming rote for me. I just come to church, I listen to a sermon, then I go back home, and then I come back and listen to a sermon or, or whatever. But I never really think of myself as being really involved in the Great Commission. And I'll just tell you that it's at that moment that sometimes it feels like the manna just ceases, and you're not making any progress at all. You need to cross the Jordan and see the wonders of God, but it's going to require you. It's going to require the faith that you've built up in the wilderness. Now, some are in the wilderness, and they never come out. I am confident that there are many who will be with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity because of their baptism and the grace of the gospel. So this is not about a works-based mentality. Please hear me. You're saved by grace through faith, but you never really felt yourself crossing into a place where you were using your gifting for the, for the very glory of Jesus. And in, intuitively, you know that. If this becomes boring, something's wrong. It's an indicator. If, if you don't desire to be around the people of God, something's wrong. And chances are you're not building and chances are you may have somehow stagnated along the way to becoming like Jesus. Does that make sense? So that's important to see. So there are places and times in our life where things just dry up. Things just dry up. You feel that season of dryness. Now, I think that ebb and flow is true whether you're building or not. But a particular place and time where you just feel like, well, I'm not really doing anything for the kingdom. And, you know, and you'll come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm really not into organized religion. I'm really not into that. I, you know, and you just get entrapped by thinking how great it was in Egypt. And we'd seen that a couple of weeks ago. Remember, they were talking about the garlics and the leaves, leeks and all the beautiful things that they used to have in Egypt where they were slaves. 
You begin to think back with selective memory about what it was like in the world before you started doing, you know, kind of doing religion, whatever that means. Well, sometimes things dry up, but let me tell you something. Sometimes it's the very providence of God that things dry up. It's a push for you. Have you ever had that happen where maybe a, a job, maybe you were fired from a job and somehow it just dried up where you were and you had to move and take on a new task and you look back and go, man, I'm so glad that I lost that job because I'm doing something so much more remarkable now. I mean, I could, I, and I never would have been pushed out had there not been someone kind of sovereignly pushing me out. And certainly if you're a follower of Jesus, you recognize the sovereignty of God in your own life. Well, this happened exactly uh, with a guy named Elijah. And so I want you to think in terms of what is it like when things, provision dries up? Well, this is what happens in the wilderness. There's a time where it just dries up and it's the Lord saying, it's time for you to cross and begin to walk in the fullness of your calling. You've been out in this wilderness too long. For Jesus, it was 40 days. For Israel, only two made it through. But the manna ceased on that day. And at that point, your, now catch this, your provision, spiritually speaking, is going to happen on the other side of the Jordan, not the way it used to happen. You're going to actually have to engage in active ministry to be fed, and I want to show you that. 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17. Many of you will know this story. If you know anything about Elijah, he was a prophet, and he actually grew up in Gilead, which is east of the Jordan. Interesting, very much, he grew up in the wilderness. It, that was the place of the wilderness. So if we were to have a map here, you would see anything east of the Jordan is considered the wilderness. And if you've ever been, well, some of those slides were for those of you who've been to Israel with me. And if you remember driving down the Jordan, if you will, until we got to the Dead Sea, if you look off to your left as we were going south, looking east, you would see it really is wilderness. It looks like the other side of Interstate 10, right here in the Coachella Valley, especially as you're driving, you know, to Phoenix. And if you look all around, it just looks like there's just nothing growing out there. Well, that's what the wilderness looks like. And that's where Elijah grew up. Now, he grew up during the time of the kings were already uh, uh, living at that time. And there was a particular a king named Ahab that was particularly wicked, and he'd given himself really to idolatry, a place that we all slip into if we're not driven by the passion of Jesus. We all just, it's difficult to extricate ourselves from idolatry, and he was leading them in. In fact, of the northern kings, there were none that were ever really considered righteous, maybe five righteous in the southern kingdom, but none in the northern kingdom. And he would confront Ahab and, and pronounce that there was going to be a drought. And that's where we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now notice, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerith which is east of the Jordan, which is what? The wilderness. Again, here, we have this over and over. You have major biblical figures who will come in and then they will be led by the Spirit back into the wilderness. And it's an interesting thing that happened to him while he was in the wilderness. It says, It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Now, just a sidebar note here. You need to go. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 11, you get all this list of unclean things. And even among in certain insects you can eat, certain you can't. And birds, you know, owls uh, were unclean. Hawks were unclean. 
Uh, there were all kinds of birds, various birds, that, and ravens were considered unclean. I find it interesting that God selected ravens. Even if you touched a raven, you were considered unclean until evening in the, Levit in the Levitical law. Now, I find it fascinating that it was an unclean thing that was providing for him in the wilderness. Now, maybe that's just an incidental thing, but I think the Bible's full of non-incidental things, things that we might consider incidental in the text, but that have great meaning. In fact, we'll see when he leaves the brook and crosses back over to the Jordan, he's going to be in the house of another unclean entity. It's going to be a Sidonian woman, the woman from Zarephath, who's a non-Jew, again, providing for him. I think God is always mixing this thing up. He's always speaking to the point and always gets back to Jew and Gentile. And not just about not God's so concerned about these, you know, shellfish or non-shellfish and all that. And they may have had a, uh, a medicinal uh, impact on the nation of Israel, like maybe some of them, you know, there's going to be things like that. But I think in general what God is saying, if you'll remember Peter as he goes to... Uh, He's in uh, Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv. He was there, and this, this, these sheets come down, and he has this vision in the middle of the day, and it's the knocking of the door, and rise and eat, rise and eat. And what it was, it was a sheet full of unclean things. Probably some ravens were in his vision. It's always God saying, this is not just about Israel. This is also about the nations. Maybe you have some friends who are Jewish, either conservative, maybe orthodox even. And they will, especially the, some of the Orthodox communities, they just still won't touch. They still hold to Levitical law. But hidden within their own text is that God cares about unclean things. And in the end, he says, you're all unclean. doesn't matter what your background is. You're, at some point, you're all unclean. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Incident. Just a sidebar on that. I find that fascinating that he sent ravens. So it says... Uh, in verse 8, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and sounds like Grubhub. And, and bread and meat in the evening, I can tell we have a little older crowd because we're like, Grubhub, what did he just say? I don't have no idea what you're talking about. It's an app where you can go and people will bring food to your door. Anyway, and he would drink from the brook. And then verse 7, excuse me, I said eight a minute ago, five. It happened after a while happened after a while that the brook dried up. Interesting. Because there was no rain in the land. Well, who controls the rain? Well, Jesus said, you know, I'm the one who controls the wind and the sea and the, the rain and the cycles. God allowed the brook to dry up. That's what happens in the wilderness. And when that happens, when things begin to dry up, when manna starts to cease and you have to become a self-feeder, now it's time to cross the Jordan, and oh, my friends, you will see the wonders of God. I wonder often when I think about people, and I think about, you know, it's just kind of religion, Christianity's kind of boring, it doesn't really excite me. I can just tell you right now, they're not builders. They're not actively engaged in seeing the wonders of God. I know people who go on missions and go to Cuba and go to here and go to Africa and build orphanages. I know some of you right in here, I, I can look out and see some of the activity that you have that's really planted in the very heartbeat of God. It can be both around the world or even right here in the valley. Maybe many of you are involved right here. You give your lives to church at the Red Door. Why? Because you desire to see wonders, and you're constantly engaged by Christ. You're constantly, and you have something to pray about, by the way, because you're 
you're, you're always involved in something that necessitates faith and prayer and building. And you're just so involved that you can't, you can't wait to get up in the morning. You can't wait. And the kingdom is very exciting to you. If it's not exciting, then you haven't crossed the Jordan yet. Maybe now's the time where the manna is now ceasing. It's time for you to become a self-feeder. It's time for you to cross over. And for some way in your spirit, you just feel like the brook has dried up. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise now, go to Zarephath. Now, again, as I alluded to a minute ago, this is, uh, uh, if you look at a map of Israel today, you'll see almost to this, it's up in the Syrian area. It's a Sidon back then, but it's just, it was just south of Sidon. And, and you can look at that, and that's where Zarephath, it's on the Mediterranean, on the, on the west side of Israel. So, and it belonged to Sidon. And stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There's always provision for you. You say, well, I'm a self-feeder. There will be provision for you as you build, too. But it will be different. It won't be the manna that just comes down in heaven where you don't really have to do that much with it. You just go out and collect it. You're, you're actually going to have to make your own provisions now. And in this sense, uh, there was provision. There's provision on the other side of the Jordan, spiritually speaking. It doesn't like it's not like it just runs out and you're on your own. There's always provision there. And so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it, and he called to her and said, Well, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. I want you to think about that for a second. On the other side of the Jordan is a picture of where people are dead. Spiritually speaking, that's our analogy here. That's our analog. It's a famine. Why are we here in the Coachella Valley? Because there's a spiritual famine in this valley. Unbelievable spiritual famine. I, I alluded to it last week. I do not know of a church, certainly not over 100, that has been built in this valley for 20 years. We have almost a million people here during the high season. It's unbelievable how unchurched, how, what a spiritual vacuum there is here in the Coachella Valley, this Palm Springs thing. You know, it's just unbelievable. Well, that's where he was called to go. And she said, well, I'm just, just she could barely survive physically. People are barely surviving. Well, well, they're spiritually dead. So I have no bread. I, I don't know the word. I mean, let's, let's understand our an analogy here. I don't know the word. I have no idea. I mean, I, I see a bumper sticker every once in a while, but I, that's about all I know. I've heard that Jesus saves, but I really don't even know what, I really don't even know what that means. He says, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold... I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Pretty optimistic. Now, this next portion, I will just tell you, there have been many of TV preachers that have used this particular passage to say that you need to send money into their particular station. Okay? Uh, it's been used for countless years about, you know, how if you don't bring money to the man of God, and I'm the man of God. Somehow they are always the man of God. If you will give money to me, then somehow you'd be provided for. Now, sometimes we look at that and we say, that all that. But there is a truth to this. There is a general truth. As you give to God, he's going to provide for you. We just know that. We don't talk a whole lot about it. People say, how come you don't pass a plate in here? You know, what's going on? I said, is, that from the text, giving will emerge from the text. We don't have to always be beating people over the head to give money. Right? We don't, even, we don't talk about it a lot. Unless the text emerges from the text, 
And here's a place where it does emerge. And I think this is an appropriate application. I'm not saying I'm the man of God. You're not giving to me. But you're giving to the mission that is Church at the Red Door. When you give here, Church at the Red Door. Boxes on your way out. Uh, then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says... The Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. You give to the Lord, you're provided for. It's not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's not so you can buy a bigger house or have your second jet or any of that. It's that you'll be provided for and how you need to be provided for. And the church is also responsible for that. Your provision from God may come right through this church. If you're struggling and you, you don't have enough food and, or you need a little help with rent, let me tell you something. We, we, we like that. We help people. There has to be not just somebody from off the streets, but if, if you're part of a committed part of this body and you, you're struggling, we've helped many people with rent along the way or a little something time when they need something. And that's God's provision for you. Not just church at the red door. That's God's provision for you. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her whole household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now, the next part of this is very interesting. Again, where is he? He's, crossed the, he's come out of the wilderness. Provision is for him, and he's bringing life to places that were dead. Can you see that? We see this template over and over. It emerges over and over in Scripture. So you see it with Israel, they failed. You see it with Jesus, perfectly. He comes back, comes out of his baptism, goes into the wilderness, is tempted, passes all the tests, comes back in, stands up in, the, in a little, little tabernacle, in the little synagogue in Nazareth where he was from and begins to preach from Isaiah chapter 61. And it's talking about proclaiming liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Those who were enslaved and dead spiritually, he begins to bring life. We're called to do the same thing individually, but especially collectively as a body. So again, you're going to see death was at their door and he brought life. Now it happens again. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Stop for a moment. Let's take, go back to our analog here. The sickness in this valley is so severe. The spiritual apathy and the lack of understanding of who Jesus is is very severe. There's just no breath. Would we be a place of ignition? And now when I say no breath, I'm not saying the church isn't doing anything in the valley, but I'm just saying on a grand scale... We have plenty of places that we can go and be conduits of God's life in this valley. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. Stop for a second. Do you realize that when we go into a culture that is dead, what's the first thing they're going to say? Have you come to bring my iniquity to my remembrance? And my answer would be yes. And to put my son to death? Well, not to put him to death. He's already dead. 
But do we bring people's sin to their remembrance? Well, the law does that. And the beginning of the preaching of the gospel is you're all sinners. And when somebody says you're not a sinner, you use the law lawfully to allow them to bring the sin to their remembrance. That's what the law does. It brings sin out into the open. But once you come to Jesus, you're forgiven of that. But we use the law lawfully. Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. If there is a God out there, he's pro- I think I'll make it on the bell curve. We all know that. And then Jesus would say, if you've even looked upon a woman to lust after in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. You're guilty of the law. And if you're guilty of one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Yeah, we do bring people's sin to their remembrance. Why? So that they will see the need for a Savior. He said, give me your son. And then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his bed and he called to the Lord and said oh Lord my God have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said oh Lord my God I pray you let this child's life return to him the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived you know revived is revival What do we desire to see to happen in this valley and other places where Church of the Red Door will extend its influence? Maybe Seattle or Portland or Denver or Dallas or Bozeman, Montana or Big Fork, Montana. Where, you know, where where do we decide? Revival, revival. What is revival? It's people being revived. And the prophet, the man of God came, crossed the Jordan, went to a place of death. Why? It started with the brook drying up. The brook dried up. That's, that was what? And the ravens quit coming. The brook dried up and he, he was moved. And then God spoke to him, said, cross the Jordan and go bring life where there was death. And what happens? And people revive. Some of you have already been a recipient. As I look back on this, you've already been this recipient of the revival that's happened in your own heart because of the people right here at Church at the Red Door and the word going forth and being persuaded that this, was, that this was true. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room in the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Can I just tell you this? Until you taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll never, you'll always be someone who kind of questions, well, I don't really know if I can trust this. I don't really know if I believe this. You just got a lot of really crazy stories in here, talking donkeys and talking snakes and all that. And I really can't make sense of all that. And you know, I believe in science and I believe in this. And you just kind of go on and on and on and on. But if, I will tell you, if you will do your due diligence and, and explore Jesus and, and invite Jesus into your life, I will tell you, then you will know that this is the word of truth. It wasn't until the dead had come alive and then she said, I know the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And I know it's true. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just sit back and go, I don't know. We'll come to a group. We've got all kinds of groups. And come and ask hard questions. Don't sit back and go, well, I'm not going to ask that question because that's a dumb question. Just to ask any question, if it's running through your mind, and then make a decision and get off the fence and say, I will give my life to Jesus. And then you'll know that the word is truth. I, I've had that experience over and over and over. You would think this would run out. 
you know, you'd kind of come to the end of it. I did the religious thing for a while. It didn't really work for me. And, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't. It's, it's more glorious now than the first day I ever realized it. Some of you are even experiencing that. You said, I've gone to church for 40 years, and I'm, it, it's more vibrant to me than it was 40 years ago. You'll just know that the word of the Lord is truth. Now, as we transition to the other side, we realize we've got to make, there has to be a dietary change. So rather than just being fed, we become self-feeders. So our diet changes. It's always the Lord. It's always Jesus. But it went from manna to something else. I was looking at something yesterday. Is this, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. It's just ridiculous that I would even bring this up. But I'm going to anyway since I've already started it. I saw a guy. It, was on, it, was on, it had to be true because it was on the Internet. And, and he said, no, he said, He's only eaten mac and cheese for 17 years, the Velveeta kind, a particular kind. He doesn't even have other different kinds he likes. It's the only thing he'll eat. He, can't, he, he starts to have a gag reflex if he has anything of color, any, any other food. He just The thought of it makes him sick, and he, it takes eight minutes to prepare this. Can you imagine? Mac and cheese only for 17 years. He said, now I'm trying to get in shape. I'm like, you need to get in shape. He didn't look, he, he looked like he'd been eating mac and cheese for 17 years. He says, now I got to get in shape. And he goes, I think I, pr- I need to maybe change my diet. And I was yelling at my computer, yes, you need to change your diet. Of course you do. And, and, and he was there and, and, and he'd gone to a trainer and he was doing some boxing now, but he was still doing the mac and cheese. And he recognized there needed to be a shift in the way the way he ate. Well, that's what happens when you cross the Jordan. You go from manna to a much broader place. You're not just being spoon-fed anymore. You're actually a self-feeder, and you become someone who actually studies, studies their own Bible, reads the Bible for themselves. There's definitely a transition that has to happen. Now, um, as we cross... There, I, I, some of you saw the movie The Gladiator and uh, Russell Crowe, and he's like trying to get these guys motivated to go to the other side, to, to take this battle, because why? Because everything hangs in eternity, hangs on the church, doing what Christ has empowered it to do. It's Jesus that builds his church, but he has to use his church. So I'm just going to show you this little clip. It's a short clip, but... I want, you, I want you to feel that, yeah, I can, we can do this. In Christ, we can do this. It's time to leave the wilderness and go into battle, not against physical people. This battle's against physical people. But we are going because why? Well, this, it'll echo through all of eternity. So watch this clip. signal. Unleash hell. Infantry form up for advance. 
Dispatchers ready. my crops. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled. For you are in Elysium. And you're already dead. <laughs> Brothers. What we do in life echoes in eternity. They say, well, isn't that a little melodramatic? I mean, this is a story about, you know, religious things. Can I just tell you something that somehow deep in the soul, I think of every man. First of all, you're like, I want to be part of something like that. And then part of you is going, would I, would I be the one in the back wondering, you know, kind of what's going to happen? Or would I be charging the first one to hit the... Maybe the, the line of defense there, or what, what would that look like? There's something built into us that desires that. I'm just kind of in a physical way. But Jesus wants us to cross the Jordan. What's the very first thing they did after the, well, the manna ceased. But then they went in immediately into a battle. Now, obviously, they were giving us an understanding. The first battle was strange. It was God-directed. It was the It was Jericho. I mean, what kind of battle plan is that? Well, walk around, you know, march around it all these, you know, seven times, and then on the seventh time, blow the horns, and all the walls come tumbling down. We know kind of know the story, but it's a whole different. And again, our battle's not against people. Our battle's not against other religions. Our battle's not against our, our, our people that uh, adhere to other religions. That's not our battle. But our battle is against spiritual forces. So as they were told to go in and spare no one, as we'll see next week as we talk about idolatry, we're called to go in and spare nothing in terms of philosophical sense and from spiritual places of wickedness, right? We're, we spare nothing. We, we leave nothing behind. We, com we completely take everything captive to the obedience of Christ. There's something in us that's built. Cross the Jordan. Move into your calling. G they didn't understand this. You know, Jesus in John chapter 4, they just didn't understand it. I alluded to this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to read it again in this context. I think it'll be helpful. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. In other words, I, I'm, I've crossed the Jordan. I've gone through the wilderness. I've gone through my testing. I, have now, I am now taking the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People are entering the kingdom now because of the ministry and you're going to do the same. I know you don't understand it now, but you're going to do the same. And my food is no longer manna. My food, and it, he helps us make this transition of the analog here. My what? He says, so the disciples, no one brought him anything to eat. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I'm a builder. I'm a proclaimer of the kingdom. I've come out of the wilderness. I've crossed the Jordan. And now my spiritual food, and they were always thinking physical food, my spiritual substance is from doing the work, 
That's where I'm energized. That's where I get nutrients is actually engaging, not just going to church. It's engaging. It's going into my calling. And do you go individually or do you want to go as a fighting unit? It's a fighting unit. Why? Because there's dead people out there and they need to be released from death. He says, do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Now, why did he switch from my food is to do the will and then directly into the harvest? Why? Because that, he had this understanding. I cross the wilderness and I go into my calling and then I do the works that are prescribed by my father and it becomes my spiritual source. So do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white for harvest. I know that's hard to see because sometimes you look out in this valley and you go, people are so apathetic, you don't understand. Would Jesus say, well, sometimes they're not white for harvest, but I believe there's a great harvest here. Over the coming years, I believe the church at the Red Door is going to see many people be revived. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Remember, all they said, but where did he get the food? And then he launches off into this, like, what what is he talking about? Because he saw himself as Israel only succeeding, not failing. He says, for in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. There have been people that have been sowing in this valley for many years. I happen to be one of them, 20 some odd years, sowing into... Just little Bible studies, little groups. I don't brag about that. It's calling. It's a privilege. There are many others that have been in this valley for a long time. I think we'll see see a harvest. I believe that we'll see a harvest in the life of this church. And we'll see many people be revived spiritually. But guess what? We always need to remember there are people that have been sowing and plowing the ground here for many decades. And we'll walk into their labor and eventually we'll rejoice together. Whether those people still are on the earth or not for all of eternity... This thing will echo down through eternity, just as you saw. The thing is, we're not bringing hell to them. We're bringing heaven to them. We're bringing the kingdom of God. We're walking in the Great Commission. Now, there's a point in our lives where spiritual food and exercise have to be vigorously pursued and practiced. It's just important for us to grow up. It's just true. Now, if you think back about the sending of the... Now, remember, what we saw is that in the... In the desert, there were 12 spies that were chosen, and then there were 70 at Jethro's council that were there to help Moses. So you had a selection of 12, and then you had a selection of 70. Now, what's interesting, as I alluded to once before, but now we're going to go into more detail, Jesus also did the same thing. Why? Because he was very aware, once he crossed the Jordan, that he was also going to select 12, and then he was going to select 70. And he did that. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, it says, uh, As you go, speaking of the 12... Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're bringing heaven to them, not hell, heaven. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely of you have received, freely give. Then he says this, and I find this interesting. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. So wait a minute. Is this, why, 
why no provisions here? Just go out. Now, some people have based their ministry on that. They go out without support. They go, and then they go to a foreign country. Sometimes God provides. Sometimes they don't. They come back, and they go, I, I don't understand this. He says, don't take any provisions. Just go out. There are many different reasons that theologians give for this. Number one, they weren't sent to the nations yet. They were just sent within Israel, and they had an understanding of Levitical law and hospitality and things like that. Maybe, maybe not. I think there's a deeper meaning here. How about Luke chapter 10? Now he's going to send out the 70. So he sends out the 12. Those are the 12 in Matthew 10. And then Luke chapter 10, verse 2, says, He was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, speaking to the 70, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Again, twice. Now, you've got to realize the majority of their ministry, I, this is my take on this. This is just my take. I, I'm not dogmatic about this, but I strongly believe that this is giving us some insight into our journey. I think in, from their perspective, they're still in the wilderness. He is already crossed the Jordan, but they're still being provided for. Their provisions are daily. They haven't had to provide for themselves yet. They're being provided for. They're, the man is coming down from heaven. Right? So in a way, yes, they're taking the kingdom, they're preaching the gospel, but in a way, they're all still in the wilderness. And it was really true. The Holy Spirit wouldn't be poured out till 50 days after Jesus had gone to the cross, and that would be Pentecost. They wouldn't have the ability to walk and effectively function. He was sending them out in little battles yet, but not the big battle that he knew that they were going to fight after he was crucified and they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 22, very interesting shift here. Now we're coming right down to the time of the cross. We're coming right down to the time where Jesus is going to be, well, exactly as the prophet Isaiah had spoken, that he was going to be marred beyond the, even recognition more than any man. His face was going to be so beaten that nobody would be able to recognize him. Uh, he was going to be brutally treated. The flesh was going to be ripped off his back. He's going to be nailed to a cross why we are church at the red door that blood that is applied to your door came from the lamb and that lamb was jesus jesus knew this was coming he knew the purpose for which he was sent and listen to the shift there's a subtle shift here verse 35 and he said to them when i sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals you didn't like anything did you you were provided for the manna came down every day that's my take on this and they said no nothing lord and he said to them but now there's a shift here Whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that that, that which is written must be fulfilled in me. He's talking about his crucifixion. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, there are two swords. And then he said, it is enough. Now, if you go back into the Greek, when he says it is enough, it's really not a great translation, even though it's kind of what this really means is like, you guys, you still don't get it. All right, enough of this silliness. You guys are taking, I'm giving you a spiritual understanding. I'm giving, as he always did with his disciples, right? He would be talking from a spiritual perspective, and they're trying to apply it in the physical. Did he really say, okay, now I'm going to be gone, so you guys are going to have to defend yourselves and go out and stab a bunch of people? Well, if you go back just to Matthew chapter 26, he said, Jesus' own word, he says, all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. And now it seems in conflict because he's telling them to go out and get a sword. Or is he talking altogether spiritually? I would suggest to you that he's talking altogether spiritually. What he's saying is that 
I'm going to be gone. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. Now you're going to cross your own Jordan, so to speak, and you're going to take it to the ends of the earth. You're going to take it to the ends of the earth. Is Jesus really? I, I may have read all kinds of commentaries on this, and none. I'm just like, really? Do you, do you think he was really saying, well, they were going to have to go to the Gentiles, and they were going to have to defend themselves against bandits? I said, does that really fit in with Jesus? And where you pray for those who persecute you, and you turn the other cheek and all that, and now you have a sword? Which is it? Is it defending yourself and stabbing people and doing all that? Or what is it, Jesus? What are you after here? I'm sending you into a hostile place. And when I send you into a hostile place, among your enemies, spiritual forces, not people. People are not the enemy. I'm going to feed you. But you're going to have to be a self-feeder. You're going to have to feed yourself. You're going to have to know how to read your Bible, not just have it always broken down for you. Become a Bible reader. I want to close with this, Psalm chapter 23. I love this passage. Psalm chapter 23, verse 5. Listen to the psalmist. I think the Lord prepares a table for you when you cross the Jordan, when you're right in the middle of your enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. There's the oil. And my cup overflows. If you're going to cross the Jordan, you have to be overflowing. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to fill you up and then rivers of living water are going to come forth out of you. Are you someone who's filled up? Have you, made, have you seen the wilderness for what it is, a place to be discipled and learn and grow and become? There's a season in your life. It may take several years before you really are effective where you can cross the Jordan and actually began to eat in the presence of your enemies. See, in the wilderness, there weren't that many enemies. There were a few, but there weren't that many enemies. But when they crossed, he knew exactly. When he came up out of that water, he lived a fairly sheltered life, reasonably speaking. We don't know a lot about the time he was maybe 11 or 12 till the time he was about 30-ish. And before his ministry, we know that he was in subjection to his parents. He was doing some woodwork, and we don't know exactly. There's all kinds of speculation about what happened, these silly movies that come along and try to tell you what happened during that time. But I will tell you that when he crossed that Jordan, he knew what he was going. He was going to go right in the middle of, of the spiritual enemies, and they were going to be in the form inhabiting the minds and the lives and the bodies of many of the religious leaders, and he would pay an ultimate price for that. Can I just tell you, you'll pay a price when you cross the Jordan. You will pay a price. If you don't pay a price, chances are you're not in the battle. There's always a price to pay. Can I just tell you, relative to the glory of seeing people come to life, it'll be meaningless. It's no different than labor with a woman. I can't speak to that. I know the pain is off the charts. And all the women said amen. I know the pain's off the charts, but they tell me, and again, I, I can't know from experience, but they said the moment that they put that crying baby in your arms, all the travail is forgotten. In light of the glory of that new birth, when we see new births, anything that would be, we would consider being persecuted for the name of Jesus or maybe cost us financially or reputation-wise or anything else, it will be meaningless. It'll be meaningless. So in closing, 2 Timothy chapter 2, do you need to consecrate yourselves. There's a setting apart. That's what happens in the wilderness. You begin to see yourself set apart. It says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, all the idolatry that used to live in, 
He says he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. Pursue it actively. Faith, love, and peace with those. There's a with those. You've got to belong to something. You've got to be part of some kind of community that's missional who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There is an active engagement in you. Will I become? Will I belong? Yeah, this is a picture of battle, spiritual battle. That's what we're getting here from this template. We'll talk about idolatry next week. I know everybody would be very excited to make their way to Church of the Red Door here all about idolatry. What an engaging topic. It'll actually be very liberating for many of you, very liberating. I'll tell you that right now. I was excited as the Lord began to put some things on my heart, even this week. I usually don't, I usually prepare the week of, but sometimes I get something in my head that starts washing around, and I know it's going to be a couple, two or three weeks from now. And I'm excited about getting to that, our basis being Psalm 96. But there is, and when the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you, there is a warrior spirit, men and women, that begins to arise in you. The Holy Spirit wants to use your body. Now, we know that this week, some of you have actually done that in the physical realm, Veterans Day. And I just want to tell you, if you've, if you've served in the military, would you mind just standing to your feet? Just, I just, for, just allow us to honor you as we look around you. Many, many of you have laid down your lives for your country. I, I know. I, in my own household, as I tell you every year, I mean, he, my father-in-law, they live with us, and he, he, three times he was shot in Vietnam. Took three different bullets as a Green Beret special ops guy. Laid down his life for his country, and the, the Lord saved him out of that. The Lord's also calling us now to do it in a spiritual sense. Many of you who served in the military, the Lord is calling you back into service to lay down your lives, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, be disciple, learn the word, be, have manna come down from heaven, but eventually become a self-feeder. Get to a place where you say, you know what, now it's time for us to cross. We're going to be part of this church. We're going to be part of this mission or whatever the Lord calls you to do, with the ministry fair or otherwise. We're going to be called into that, and we're going to lay down our lives, and we're going to see people revived. We will cross the Jordan. I will not sit in the wilderness for the entirety of my life. I will have the spirit of Caleb rise up in me, and that's our prayer for you. That's our prayer for you. Paul, you want to come and close us in prayer? Hey, we love you people. It's so good to see you coming back, and uh, we're excited. Again, the 24th. Lastly, I did want to say... Before Paul comes up and closes prayer, otherwise I'm going to be in big trouble from Constance. If you don't have a physical ticket for the, our comeback, the Living Desert on November 17th, if you don't have a physical ticket in your head, they won't let you in. You can't say, I'm on a list, I forgot. Please go pick up your tickets at Will Call right out here uh, in our little, uh, not Will Call, it's here, but uh, out at the, one of the, what, what, what am I looking for? The, uh, what? Minister, yeah, it's not out here, it's over there. Anyway. You'll figure it out. Ask somebody that knows what they're talking about. But make sure you have a physical ticket. We've got over 250 people that, that are coming to this uh, welcome back at the, at the Living Desert. So, uh, Paul, would you come and close us in prayer? And I know you have a, a word on uh, Angel well, Tree as well. Well, I'm the same as you. If I don't say this, I'm in trouble too. Tracy Groves. <laughs> 
Um, you'll notice when you leave today, uh, Angel Tree, it's Angel Tree season. And uh, that's a, a ministry here at the church that we go and, and meet the needs of prisoners' kids. Uh, and, and we meet needs of hundreds of them. And so what we want to encourage you, they got the angels out there today. And you'll go out and you just pick up an angel, and it says what kind of gift in that to buy for that child. It's hard to believe, right, Christmas? We're just a few weeks away. Oh, my gosh. The weather just got nice. Um, so I just want to encourage you, please, to do that on your way out. They've got angels laying all over the place out there and down the hallway. There's some more. It's a great way, as Jeff was sharing with us today. It's another wonderful way of broken families, and you get a chance to bring some joy into the hearts of these kids whose parents, parent or parents, are in prison, and grandma and grandpa are taking care of them. So uh, please take a moment to do that. And, of course, swing by the ministry fair and see where God may be calling you to serve and do that next step that Jeff was talking about. So, Father, thank you. That's uh, all I can think of right now is thank you. You call us your kids. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us to be your ambassadors, to be your representative. So, Father, as we go through the week, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear where you are at work. Father, put those people before us that so desperately need to hear the wonderful news and hope that they couldn't find in you. So, Father, we thank you for this day. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.